boot camp. Now there's a pain. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Steven Stanos. Dr. Stanos is an assistant professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at the Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois. He is the medical director of the Center for Pain Management at the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. He is co-chair of the Pain Task Force of the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and a section editor for the American Pain Society Bulletin. Today we are discussing boot camp for the management and treatment of chronic pain. Welcome, Dr. Stanos. It's great of you to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thanks for having me, Bill. So what is a boot camp for pain sufferers? Uh, Well, boot camp is actually a term we've been using to our patients to describe our chronic pain program. And from a more of a medical standpoint, our pain program or boot camp is a multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary approach. And so what interdisciplinary implies is that you're using different disciplines together, usually under one roof, to really help, in this case, our chronic pain patients. So we have uh, structured programs. Our most structured and formal program includes four weeks, eight hours a day of therapy. It's an outpatient program where patients see the physical therapist, occupational therapist. They learn relaxation techniques with our relaxation therapist, pain psychology, which includes a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, physical therapy with therapists that are trained in you know, helping patients with chronic pain. And then we're located next to a private gym. And while the patients are in the program, they with groups and individually, are in the gym getting an exercise program. We also incorporate pool therapy and vocational retraining. So it really covers most of the areas that are affecting their function. How long is somebody typically in pain before they finally get to see you? Well, unfortunately, we looked at this a couple of years ago, and I think the average was at least three to four years in chronic pain. So that's an average. So we get some patients that are seven, eight, ten I saw someone yesterday who was 33 years old, and she's had knee pain since she was either five or six years old. But we see a good mix of patients, work-related injuries, older patients with osteoarthritis, and some patients with myofascial pain and fibromyalgia. So we really see across different ages, and it can vary on the time when they're really going to present. Are patients typically referred to you, or are they self-referred? How do they get to your program? Well, it's been a combination. Most are uh, referred through their primary care doctors or their pain physicians. They, They may have already had injection therapies or other treatments that haven't worked. We get referrals from psychiatry, but I think most are from primary care. We've had some recent referrals with some, actually some good uh, news stories about our program where patients are self-referring themselves. So it's always interesting to see how patients get to us. How do you typically start out the evaluation? Say I show up day one and I'm ready to be treated or you know to go through the boot camp. What's that process? Can you lead me through it? We do a real formal assessment of all of our patients, and not every patient's going to need a formal four-week program. Every patient that's evaluated in the program, a new patient, will see the physiatrist for an hour and a half. They'll also see the pain psychologist for an hour for a general assessment psychologically. And if it's work-related, they also see our vocational therapist. From that assessment, which could take you know three to four hours, we then decide if they're a candidate for one of our formal programs, do they need injections, do they need just medical management. So it really it depends on the assessment. From that, we have different programs. The, the program that I just talked about is the more formal four-week program. We have another program for patients that maybe don't need that much, which is a program where patients come in five half days a week. So they may come in on Tuesday afternoon from 12 to 4 o'clock, and every 45 minutes they go to a different discipline. And the different disciplines for that program would include the physical therapy, 
occupational therapy, pain psychology, medical management, and our nurses do a lecture on various things from diet to sleep hygiene and some other important things that patients need to know. So that is kind of the, the different scope of the clinic and where we really approach our patients. Certain, you mentioned diet. Have you found any foods to be particularly helpful? I know that Andrew Weil talks about antioxidants and certain foods that have anti-inflammatory properties. Have you found anything specifically in diet that helps pain patients? You know, I really I couldn't comment on that, and I think some of our patients do ask that, and our nurses do go through that with a lecture of just basic good diet techniques and caffeine and how patients are using other kind of chemicals. But I really haven't found a specific food that w- would affect their pain. I'm amazed by when we really ask patients, how much caffeine, how much tobacco they're using on a regular basis, and they don't really tie that in with how that could be affecting their body, how it could affect their sleep, and actually indirectly how it could affect their pain as well. As long as I got you on the subject, glucosamine chondroitin sulfate has been batted around lately. Are you on the helpful or not helpful side of that argument? I think I'm on the helpful side of the argument, and there have been some studies that showed that that compound at sufficient doses does have a very small anti-inflammatory effect. A lot of our patients come to us are already on glucosamine chondroitin for joint pain. So I think the jury is, in a sense, still out. I think the risks are minimal, and if patients are going to be compliant, it's it's worth trying for a short amount of time. Outcome measures. Medicine is so evidence-based today. What do you look for in terms of telling someone, here's what we hope to accomplish? And I know that can vary, but what sort of outcome measures do you use as showing that treatment is helpful? That's an important question because a lot of our patients that present with chronic pain, we need to really change their focus and what they really want to get out of pain management. So from this very start, we ask them whether it's myself, the physician, or the pain psychologist, what are their goals? And our goals from a treatment standpoint are obviously pain reduction, but I think more importantly, improvement in function. So we really try to get the patient to focus and actually understand what are the leisure things they're not doing, what are the social things they're not doing, and actually what are the work things they're not able to do or have difficulties with, and then use that as a goal for treatment. So really, the initial goals are decrease pain, but really improve function, improve sleep, improve psychosocial functioning, and I think really teach them how to cope better and function better despite the pain. You keep mentioning the psychologist. What role does the psychologist play and what kind of programs are the patients specifically directed into? Our psychologists in the program do the initial assessment and they're involved in a lot of the groups. The patients that are in the program are usually started, attend the program with eight or nine other patients, uh, half their treatments one-on-one and half their treatments in groups. The group psychology sessions are very important. The psychologist will teach the patients about the vicious cycles of chronic pain, how the pain is affected by stress, how it's affected by depression, and just really a kind of a basic 101 of understanding chronic pain. The group psychologist sessions also include relaxation training, where as a group, they'll do deep breathing. Our psychologists also do groups with other family members with the chronic pain patients, and they discuss how the family may be kind of contributing or inappropriately dealing with the patient's pain, even though they're trying to help the patient. So the the psychologist is really a key player in our program and and really helping the patients to understand what's happening and then teaching them ways to maybe unlearn some of the bad things they've learned because of the chronic pain. So we can keep our psychologists really busy in the clinic just in in our pain programs and then in their individual sessions, kind of diving deeper with the patients on how the pain's affected them, how's it affected their relationships, you know, understanding their depression and all those other psychosocial factors. Insurance companies tend to focus on sort of the quick cure. What's the data show in terms of effectiveness of a boot camp program for chronic pain compared with medication and or surgery? Well, if you look at the data on the medical term would be interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary pain programs, 
And you have to remember that you know not every program is exactly the same in their scope of practice. But most of those have shown improvement in you know, reduction in depression, reduction in pain, and many times the pain reduction can be very small. Our clinic, we've shown an average reduction on a 10-point scale, you know, zero being no pain, 10 being horrible pain, of maybe one and a half to two points with some of our patients. I think most of the studies have shown that patients report less pain flares. They're better able to manage their pain. So there are a number of different psychosocial factors you can look at, as well as physical factors like aerobic capacity and actual strength. So depending on the patient, I think we can demonstrate most patients can benefit, you know, physically from, you know, like I said, an aerobic standpoint and a strengthening standpoint, psychologically and from a pain standpoint. One of the things that as a physician I could understand doctors being frustrated about is you can look at someone who tells you they're in chronic pain and perhaps it's their coping mechanisms, but they don't look like they're going, ah, you know, they carry on a conversation, they can even smile. How do you as a pain physician work with these people? And also, how do you make doctors more cognizant of the fact that you don't have to act like you're in pain to be in pain? That's a great question because, you know, we get this a lot from other physicians that, you know, like you just explained, when you see the patient, they don't seem like to be in too much distress. But, you know, when you ask them, they can tell you that their pain score is 10 out of 10 and then their whole life is affected. So that's why I think it's important to really do a good assessment and understand that that pain score they give you is really has some inter-individual strength, but many times it's only worth as, as much as what the patient tells you. And so besides the pain score, there's so many other things you can ask the patient. And then I think you can really start to understand, you know, how, in a sense, disabled they are from the pain. And so we see that a lot. On the other side, we do see patients that come in and they demonstrate a lot of pain behavior. A pain behavior is how they've learned to kind of communicate to the environment that they're in pain. So they may come in, you see them in the office, they're grimacing, uh, holding on to the wall, limping, you try to palpate their back or, you know, do the physical exam and they scream out in pain. And unfortunately, I think sometimes physicians think or healthcare providers that the patients are, you know, malingering or feigning their symptoms. And really that's all, you know, based on kind of behavioral learning that they learn that if they grimace and guard, they may get some sympathy. They may be able to take their pain medicine. So you really have to be able to assess pain behaviors. And a lot of times the pain behaviors are probably going to be the, what you're going to see the most improvement with a patient when they get good pain management. And they're going to learn that that's not a normal, that's not a good way to act. And, you know, as we get them more functional and they're, they're less fear avoidant, they're less fearful of movement, those behaviors are going to subside. So I think on one end, some patients you see no pain behaviors. And on the other end, you see that's all you think it is, is all pain behavior. Yet they still have significant pain. And I think a lot of times the patients are really trying to convince you they're in pain. And many times the patients don't think that the physicians even believe them. So, yeah, I think you really have to be careful and kind of individually assess each patient. I'd like to thank Dr. Stephen Stanos, who's been my guest. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Dr. Bill Rutenberg wishing you good day and good health.